The matchup of the season is finally here. It's Alabama and Georgia in the SEC Championship on Saturday in Atlanta. Welcome into SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer along with John Adams. John, coming into the season, we didn't know if this would be the matchup we would get in Atlanta. A lot of preseason noise about LSU. We thought it would be Georgia in the East. It is Georgia in the East. Alabama wins the West. And man, I don't know if I believe in teams of destiny, John, but there was something at work there on the Plains Saturday. And I know Alabama was was going to the SEC Championship anyway, but just when you think Alabama's an improved team and they got some momentum, they got it figured out, they needed a miracle fourth and 31 conversion to win the Iron Bowl, but they did it. And you know what? You think back two years ago, they needed a white-knuckle escape on the Plains then, and they won the SEC Championship against Georgia in 2021 before losing the rematch in the playoffs. So does what happened against Auburn affect in any way how you look at this SEC Championship positively or, or negatively, I guess, as it pertains to Alabama? It helped a little bit, but but not significantly. What it just reminds me how this I mean, Alabama hasn't the only isn't the only one that's had, you know, uh, a miraculous game. I mean, Auburn won on at the same venue at uh on a field goal return for a touchdown. I mean, how many times does that happen? But what it reinforces in my mind is what a playmaker Jalen Milrow has become. Um uh, I, I was baffled that uh, Auburn didn't mount a stronger pass rush, but maybe they were just terrified at the possibility Jalen Milrow would take off running. And it seems as though in the open field, he might be the hardest guy to tackle along with Jaden Daniels of LSU, hardest guys to tackle in, in college football. But yeah, it's uh, I thought it was an appropriate ending to, to the regular season and that we, Going into the season, all the talk, and we talked about this a lot, was uh, we just didn't know about Alabama's quarterback. And we didn't know about it two games into the season and three games into the season. But I think we now know about Alabama's quarterback. I think we see two teams that have proved they can come through in the clutch. Georgia hasn't done this as flamboyantly or spectacularly this season. But whenever, whenever there's a threat mounting outside its door, it always comes on strong. So I'm kind of excited about this matchup. I think it will be a really good game. Yeah, I mean, I I think it is the game of the season. And I think this, uh, I'm going to go ahead and call it a rivalry because, uh, you know, we're we're not stuck in our ways. We We don't have to let history influence us. I mean, I think Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, is the rivalry right now in college football. It doesn't mean these guys hate each other. You know, I don't I don't know that it has the bitterness, uh, at least between the two head coaches, that some rivalries do, but these are the uh, two preeminent programs. You know, for the longest time, it was Alabama. Now, the past few years, Georgia has passed them, but Alabama's still nipping at the heels. They can reclaim supremacy on Saturday, and I think this sets up into the future to continue to be the rivalry of the decade, even more so, In fact, because the change to the conference structure, getting rid of divisions and like Alabama and Georgia, each other more frequently in the regular season, 
because of the elimination of divisions. I, I mean, I think that's going to turn this into a, a full-fledged rivalry. And no, it's not going to surpass like what the Iron Bowl means. But in terms of, you know, the stakes on a national championship race, I think there's going to be many years where Georgia and Alabama is the game in a way that in the Big Ten, it's it's Ohio State and Michigan year after year. I'm already on board with my 2024 predictions. I've got Alabama and Georgia playing in the SEC championship. I want to get I want to put that out there first and we can talk about it next year at this time. Uh, since you mentioned rivalries, I know they talk about Michigan versus Ohio State being the rivalry and the game and all that kind of good stuff. And maybe it draws more national attention. But I still think the greatest rivalry in college sports, maybe all sports, and you were at the game this past Saturday. You saw it firsthand. I've been there a few times. Is Alabama versus Auburn. To me, it's the most intense rivalry and often most difficult rivalry to predict. Two years ago at Auburn, as you mentioned, that Auburn team had no business playing Alabama down to the wire and really deserved to win the game in some ways. And then what happened the week before this past Saturday? Auburn loses by three touchdowns to New Mexico State, an underrated team, but still it's New Mexico State. And then it turns around and play off a play a team that could win the national championship. I mean, it plays it to the last second. So to me, this is still the rivalry, and I might be showing my southern affinity for Alabama oh, yes. and Auburn, but I still say this is the rivalry. Anything to get that accent <laughs> going. Yeah, I thought it was fitting, John, and, and it it was it was cruel for Auburn fans, but nonetheless, I thought fitting for a program that's really been stuck in purgatory the last three years since firing Gus Malzahn, um, a firing that I said then, and I still say now, um, was uh, Auburn not knowing exactly what it had. I mean, it had eight straight winning seasons under Malzahn. He beat Nick Saban three times, and they fired him after he went six and four against a conference-only schedule in 2020. Uh, however, you know, I think the window had probably closed on Malzahn winning a national championship at Auburn. That was that's the aspiration at Auburn, even though that program has only won two national titles. Uh, it considers itself in that realm. So it made a change and it's really been spinning its tires for three years since then. First under Brian Harson, and now a six and six debut under Hugh Freeze. I mean, a win in the Iron Bowl would have totally changed, you know, the narrative of, of Hughes' first season, season, despite what happened against New Mexico State. That gets forgiven if you, if you beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl. But, um, you know, that's just sort of been the story of Auburn for the last several years now. They're kind of in this also-ran status. They're in this moral victory-type mode. I mean, yeah, they, they played Alabama to the wire. They probably should have won the game. They had the muff punt and then the fourth and 31 miracle from Jalen Milrow to Isaiah Bond, but I, I really just felt like it was a cruel end for Auburn, but it's kind of a fitting in the way the last few seasons has gone on for the, for that program. A fitting in in a way, Blake, but I still think once the devastation of the loss, and I'm sure it was devastating. I've got some Auburn friends. Uh, I think 
the bigger picture here that fans will take away from this is Hugh Freeze can be competitive in big games. Uh, he did that when he was at Ole Miss, and he beat Nick Saban twice, twice in a row, I think. This tells me he can do the same thing. He, his teams play well against uh, Nick Saban in Alabama, and I think that's very important at Auburn. So um, even though it lost the game, and, and you can't call it a moral victory, but I just find it – you look at where the program is now compared to where it was last season, and I think Auburn's in, in much better shape. The record would say otherwise, but in I know, in you, but you in trust, I know. In my mind, yes, I, I do. No, I believe in you. I do. Yeah, the problem is going to be those those losses to New Mexico State. I mean, Hughes Hughes good for a game like like he's good for an upset over a team he shouldn't beat, and then it kind of goes the other way for him here and there too. And that that was sort of what caught up to Malzahn in the end. He had those three wins against Saban, but then he'd lose games that Auburn thought it should win. And, and that's sort of started to add up on him throughout his, his tenure. Well, I mean, go back to Tommy Tuberville. Tommy Tuberville was a great big game coach. He was really good as an, in an underdog role uh, and good against nationally ranked teams. And, and he maybe lost some games. Uh, Auburn fans expected him to have won. So maybe, maybe it's not a coach thing. Maybe it's an Auburn thing. I think it's a fair point. Uh, we want to get into the the coaching hires a little bit later in the episode. Texas A&M has its man and Mike Elko from Duke, the former defensive coordinator under Jimbo Fisher. The wingman is now the head man at Texas A&M. And Mississippi State has hired Jeff Levy, uh, Lane Kiffin's former caddy at Ole Miss. He was, he was Kiffin's offensive coordinator for a couple years, and he was Oklahoma's offensive coordinator and now he's the coach at Mississippi State. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But, John, uh, college football playoff rankings is pretty interesting going into conference championship weekend. And as we record this on a Monday afternoon, we don't know exactly what the rankings look like, but I think we have a pretty good idea. I mean, Ohio State lost, so they're um, barring something really chaotic out of the picture now. But you have seven other teams that are still in the mix, going into conference championship weekend. You have Georgia, Michigan, Washington, and Oregon, Florida State, Texas, and Alabama. So that's seven teams for four spots. So what I want to do here is throw out a few scenarios at you and see who you think should be left out of the field if these scenarios come to come to pass this weekend. Now, all of these scenarios involve Alabama winning the SEC championship game. It doesn't necessarily mean I think that's what's going to happen. I just think things get a lot messier if Georgia loses in the SEC championship. I mean, if chalk holds, Georgia wins, Michigan wins, Florida State wins, and then you have the winner of the Pac-12 championship, like your, your playoff field's pretty decided at that point. So it gets a lot wackier if Alabama wins on Saturday. So you'll you'll see that common theme in these scenarios. So here's scenario one, John. In this scenario, Michigan beats Iowa, wins the Big Ten. Washington wins the Pac-12. Florida State, with its backup quarterback, wins the ACC. So you have three 13-0 teams there. You also have Alabama. They've just won the SEC. They upset Georgia 
Those teams are both now 12 and one. And Texas is 12 and one and wins the big 12. So you got six teams there for four spots. Who's, who's getting left out? I'm missing one team, Michigan, Washington, Florida state. Yes. Texas, Alabama. I threw Georgia into the conversation, but I guess they would be oh, eliminated because they well, lost to Alabama. Yeah. I, you couldn't take them both. Um, well, it's a close call, but it's a really tough call. But I'd have to say Alabama. I mean, I don't care if it happened early in the season. The fact that Texas went in there to Bryant Diddy Stadium and beat Alabama um, and really took charge in the fourth quarter with the game on the line, uh, I just can't dismiss that game. And I can't say, oh, well, it happened in September. I never bought that argument with uh, – I don't buy it with NCAA tournament fields either. I think you win a game, you should get credit for that game. It was the same time of year for both teams. Uh, so Alabama, by beating Georgia, um, that would certainly improve its – I mean, that makes it a tougher call because it would have beaten – the team, the number one team. But I still can't get past that, that uh, the Texas won the head-head. Now, if the game had been in Austin, I might, it's that close to me. I might could say, okay, you won in Austin, but neutral side, how would this game have gone? And I brought other things into it and, and say Alabama's strength of schedule is better. But the way it played out, uh, yeah, I'd have to go with – I'd have to leave Alabama out. Yeah, I, I think you, you hit on a, on a key point there about is the location of the game. You know, I, I think you could work yourself into an argument if Texas had beaten Alabama, as you said, in Austin. But for the fact that this was in Tuscaloosa, I know a lot's changed since week two. But here we are, both teams have identical records. If they're both conference champions and Texas, knowing that they went into Bryant-Denny and won by two scores, like you said, it, I mean, it wasn't a blowout, but it also wasn't a fluke either. Texas deserved to win that game the way they played that night. They did win that game. They didn't need a fourth and 31 miracle to win. They flat out beat Alabama. And so, yeah, I, I think in this case, as, as horrifying as it would be for the SEC, uh, they would have to be left out in this scenario. Okay, so scenario two, mm -hmm. new one for you, John. Uh, Michigan wins the Big Ten. As you can see here, I'm not engaging with many ideas of Iowa beating. Yeah, Michigan. I was going to ask. I was going <laughs> to ask you about that. Uh, Iowa's an underrated state to me, but its offense is not underrated. But I'm, I may have one chaos scenario for you later, but okay. we're, we're, we're not there okay. yet. Uh, so in this one, Michigan still wins the Big Ten. Florida State still beats Louisville to win the ACC. Texas still wins the Big 12. Alabama still beats Georgia. But the one thing I'm changing here is Oregon now wins the Pac-12. They beat Washington. So Oregon is is your Pac-12 champions at 2 and 1. So you would have or excuse me at 12 and 1. So you would have two undefeateds, Michigan and Florida State. I'm assuming you have them in. Then you have Pac-12 champion Oregon, Big 12 champion Texas, SEC champion Alabama, all at 12 and 1. 
three teams for those final two spots, who gets left out? Whoa, that's a that's a tough one, Blake. Because I know how much you love the Pac-12. I know. Um, I'd have to leave out Alabama. Once again, Alabama. It, it's that Texas loss, isn't it? I mean, that complicates everything. Because if that if they didn't play head to head, you could say, okay, Texas gets left out. You know, it's, but you you just can't do that really with the head to head result happening in Bryant Denny Stadium. Blake, I also, it's not just the Texas game, though. When I've watched Alabama this year, and I think Alabama's got done a tremendous job to get where it is. And, of course, a win over Georgia would be huge. But I can't just ignore what all happened during the season. Alabama struggled against South Florida, a 6-6 six and six team with not much of a pedigree. 17-3, to three, I think, was the score. Um, they struggled against Arkansas. Struggled against Arkansas, and they beat Auburn on a miraculous play. And you can say, okay, that's a rivalry game. Understand that. But I've watched a lot of Pac-12 ball, and I think Auburn, I mean Oregon, Oregon to me is the biggest uh, the biggest threat to Georgia repeating. I think our Oregon, I won't keep wanting to call it Auburn because it's a, Bo Nix quarterback both teams. This is not your typical Oregon team. It's got a couple of Samoans in there plugging up the middle on defense in the middle of the line. It's got Jordan Birch, a South Carolina transfer, rushing the passer. It's uh, pretty good in the secondary. And its quarterback is second only to Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix. Uh, can run the ball, can throw it, a great system. And I think Dan Lanning's a really good coach. I think, I, I just, yeah, Oregon really passes the eye test with me. And maybe it shouldn't come down to an eye test, but it's also been dominant against a lot of good teams. It had a rivalry game, too, last week. And uh, Oregon State's a good team. I've watched it play some, too, and – uh the way Oregon handled Oregon State, just re- that was the most impressive performance I've seen. And I do think Oregon will beat Washington. It's, a, I believe, a nine-point favorite. So, yeah, to make a long story short, sorry I'm rambling, but, yeah, I like Oregon. And I would, yeah, leave out, it, again, leave out Alabama. And I, it, <laughs> it comes down, John, to the eye test versus resume debate. And we know this committee has favored eye test week after week after week in these rankings. So I think – what you're saying is what would happen. I, I think in this scenario we're talking about where there's these three teams for two spots, 12 and one, Texas, 12 and one, Oregon, 12 and one, Alabama. I think the committee would leave out Alabama. My, my counter argument to that would be is if you look at the strength of schedule metrics, Texas has the toughest strength of schedule. Alabama has the second toughest strength of schedule of those three and Oregon's strength of schedule is the weakest, and it's it's not all that close. There's there's a pretty sizable gap between uh, Alabama and Oregon. So if you're looking if you're looking at it based on resume and metrics, Alabama has the numbers, but I don't think this committee will look at it that way because week after week they've liked the committee's liked Oregon 
really since the first rankings came out. And I don't see if Oregon, you know, avenges their loss to Washington and is sitting there at 12 and one still looks good on the eye test. I don't see the committee reversing course. I I think Alabama would still get left out in that scenario. Well, uh, it's hard for me to leave out Alabama because as a proud Southerner, I appreciate what that program has done through the years and what it's meant to the SEC. So, and it has played a tougher schedule, as you pointed out. But I just can't ignore, I, I mean, I look at it, who would I pick in a, if these teams played at a neutral site? And I know the most people, most people in the Southeast would say, well, Oregon hasn't played anybody and Oregon doesn't play defense. But I'm telling you, Oregon can play defense. So. All right. Scenario three. We'll see if we can find one, find a way <laughs> to get Alabama into the playoff. I mean, heck, these scenarios are beating Georgia in a 29-game winning streak. We'll see if we can find one to get them in. Here's scenario three. I still have Michigan winning the Big Ten. Uh, scenario four, my next one, John, is going to have Michigan losing. But in this scenario, Michigan wins the Big Ten. Oregon wins the Pac-12. Texas wins the Big 12. Alabama wins the SEC. However, in this scenario, Florida State loses. They lose to Louisville, so I'm assuming they're out. Uh, You've got Michigan at 13-0. You've got Oregon, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, Washington, all at 12-1. Is it as simple as you're taking the conference champions at this point, or... Would you have any case for Georgia and Washington? No, I would go with Alabama there. I would have Alabama in. Okay, so it's the same scenario as scenario two, but I I flipped the Florida State result, had them losing, and that that allows you to slide Alabama in. So really, yeah, I mean, Alabama, we're starting to see a path to the playoff here for Alabama, and it, it looks a lot like Florida State losing or Texas suffering a second loss and getting out of the way combined with Alabama beating Georgia. And I don't think either one of those um, outcomes are out of the question. Uh, I mean, Florida state is certainly limited. I don't want to hear any talk though about, well, should the committee not use, not put Florida state in, even if it's undefeated because it's playing a backup quarterback, that would just, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, if they they beat Florida in the swamp on Saturday, it's not a great Florida team, but they look no, better but, doing it than Alabama did against Auburn. So, yeah, if they go thirteen and zero with their backup quarterback, win the ACC, there's zero precedent for keeping an undefeated yeah. Power Five champion out of the four team playoff. I agree with you. Any any argument to keep Florida stay out, that's uh, just that's just ridiculousness. And I think I think those making the arguments would be showing. Uh, some clear bias at that point, if if they're making that case. Last scenario, John, and we'll get on to these coaching hires. Last scenario, this is the chaos scenario. In this scenario, there are no undefeated Power 5 teams. In this scenario, Michigan has lost to Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. So I'm going to run down the list here. Oregon's 12-1. and one. They win the Pac-12. Texas is 12-1. and one. They win the Big 12. Alabama wins the SEC. They're 12 and 1. Georgia's just lost the SEC. They're 12 and 1. Michigan's just lost the Big 10. They're 12 and 1. Washington's 12 and 1. 
Florida State, they lost in the ACC championship. They're 12 and 1. So there you go. There's seven 12 and 1 teams. And if you want to throw in Ohio State into the mix, there's your eighth one. You got to come up with, uh, with, with four, uh, four playoff teams here. I, I'm assuming you got Texas and Oregon in because they're 12 and 1 is a conference championship. I guess you have Alabama in 12 and 1 SEC. Yes, championship. I do. See, so I'm, I'm two so who's for your four. Fourth team? Two for four on Alabama, so that shows yeah. uh, no bias against Alabama. Uh, Georgia. Georgia. Okay, as, as runner-up losing to Alabama, you'd put Georgia in ahead of Michigan, I guess, Yes. for that last spot. Sure, because, uh, I mean, who is Michigan beaten? I mean, a loss yeah, to Ohio Iowa State. would be huge. Yeah. yeah, it's beaten Ohio State and Penn State, if you want to. But I think Penn State's overrated. Um, so yeah, it would it would clear. I wouldn't have any problem with that. In fact, I think that's uh, I like that foursome. <laughs> Alabama, Georgia, yeah. What a fun weekend that would be too. And I mean, oh, it's not going to happen. It, not some, that can, well, these chaos scenarios we throw out. They, they, there can be a little bit of wonkiness, happen. but it, you don't get everything to to fall into place. Usually, I, I guess it was the 2007 season that was chaos at the end. And Pitt beat West Virginia is a huge twenty-something point underdog, and and so they can happen. Though um, I think God would have to intervene with Iowa. <laughs> yes, and there uh -huh. would have to maybe uh, complete a hail mary at the end of the half and at the end of the game because its offense is in neutral at best most of the game. So really, it's a two-step path for Alabama to get to the playoff and I'm making it sound easy. Uh, it's not easy because step one is beat Georgia. That's maybe the hardest part of this whole deal is, is just beating Georgia. Georgia is, is about a five and a half point favorite in this game, depending on your sports book of choice. So there's step one, beat Georgia. And then the other step for Alabama to get in is either Michigan, Florida state or Texas must lose any one of those three paired with an Alabama victory Saturday, and Alabama is in. However, what we're saying is, even if Alabama wins, if Michigan, Florida State, and Texas all win, it would be those three teams plus the winner of the Pac-12 as your four-team playoff. What would happen, and let's go back, and this is only hypothetical, if Oklahoma had not lost two games, and I'm still not sure how it lost two games in the Big 12 after beating Texas, if Oklahoma had just one loss and beat Texas, played in the Big 12 championship game and beat Texas again, how would you handle a one-loss Oklahoma team versus a one-loss Alabama team? Mm, I guess maybe uh... – Maybe Oklahoma because they would have two wins against Texas in this scenario you're talking about. And let's say their only loss was on the road to Oklahoma State. Let's say they beat Kansas on the road. Uh huh. You reverse that result. Yeah. They beat Texas a second time in the Big 12 championship. I mean, there again, that's a team Alabama lost to in Texas. If, if Oklahoma would have been 12 and 1, with two wins over Texas, yeah, I think I think Oklahoma's in. I mean, Oklahoma's really kicking itself for those back-to-back -back road losses. They were close games, Kansas and Oklahoma State, but that's 
that's keeping them out of their, the conversation. If they just lost one of those two, to your point, they're very much in the conversation with a chance of the playoff, I think, going into Saturday. Yeah, they have to be kicking themselves because that was, that was one of maybe the best game I saw all year. Um, not the best ending because of Melrose Pass, but that, that Oklahoma-Texas game was tremendous game. All right, let's get into the coaching hires, John. There was, Texas A&M, let's start there because it got pretty interesting on Saturday night. Reports from the local sites, the Texas A&M sites at uh, 24-7 Sports and Rivals.com, not the national guys, but the boots-on-the-ground reporters there in College Station were reporting Saturday night that uh, Texas A&M was approaching a deal with Mark Stoops the Kentucky coach and, and all along to me, this felt like, like a little bit of a trial balloon. I mean, if we know how these coaching searches work, usually the, the breaking news comes from one of like three national reporters who, you know, get the text from the agent or someone like that. And next thing you know, they all tweet it within 30 seconds of each other. Uh, and so this was interesting. It was coming from the local sites that, that Texas A&M was zeroing in on Mark Stoops. And, there was immediate backlash from Aggies fans on social media, message boards, whatever. And you can say, well, who cares about that? Mm. Athletics directors and uh, academic administrators care about that. Uh, and so suddenly that trial balloon gets popped and Mark Stoops is not the hire at Kentucky. Was he ever the front runner? I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll never know. But for a couple hours there on Saturday night, his name came into focus, quickly faded, and Mike Elko, the Duke coach, is now the man at Texas A&M. He was Jimbo Fisher's defensive coordinator for several seasons at A&M before two seasons at Duke. Uh, he won seven games this year. He won nine games the year before. Uh, he was, frankly, the best part of the Jimbo Fisher tenure at Texas A&M. The Aggies got worse after he left, and his defenses were the pinnacle uh, of, of that tenure. But so let's put it like this, John, if you could have Mark Stoops or Mike Elko as a coach at Texas A&M, those are your two choices. Nobody else is an option. Who are you taking? I guess I would take uh, Mike Elko because I don't know. I don't know what his ceiling might be. I mean, he's, he's only been a head coach two years. So there's, I kind of feel with Stoops, I, and he's done okay. He's done well at Kentucky. Okay. And he's been there a long time, but I don't think of him as somebody who's going to lead a program to national championship. I just don't. And I'm not sure Michael Co is either, but I don't know enough about him. I don't have a body of work to compare to Stoops's. So I would, I would kind of take the unknown there, but I can name a lot of coaches I would take over. I would have, uh, I would have hired Jonathan Smith over, over either one of those guys. Yeah, and, and that's a point I made in a column this week, John, is that like I think this um, you know, Aggies fans are celebrating this, and the, many of them, Mike Elko is the guy that they've wanted because they remember his defenses as being the bright spot of the, the Jimbo era. And I think when they thought they were getting Mark Stoops, they didn't want that, and so Mike Elko looked even, even better to him. Um, However, I made the point in a column, John, that like 
you could convince me that Michigan State hiring Jonathan Smith from Oregon State made the better hire. You could also convince me that maybe Texas A&M made the better hire. But I think to me, that's kind of the point here, right? Is that like A&M fancies itself as this like top 10 program. It has, you know, an, an embarrassment amount of riches in terms of donor resources, facilities, recruiting base, and all that. And you know this, they make a hire that is much more like Michigan State makes than what you would think of if you're talking about like a, a powerhouse program. And maybe Mike Elko works out to be a great hire. So these things are hard to predict. Sometimes what looks like a good hire isn't and, and vice versa. However, yeah, I mean, if you would have told me at the beginning of this search that I could have Jonathan Smith or Mike Elko for a generic school, if I'm just generic school, I, I think I'd be tempted to pick Jonathan Smith. Yeah, see, it wouldn't even be close to me. I think Jonathan, Jonathan Smith is a really good coach. He's coaching in where it's a hard place to win there consistently. Uh, he's a good offensive coach. I don't think it's even close. Now, who knows? Maybe Mike Elko will come. turn out to be a really good coach. We don't know that now. Uh, Bob Stoops was a defensive coordinator when he was hired at Oklahoma. Uh, had a great run there with the Sooners. However, I, I look at Mike Elko, and to me, this thing, it seems too much like a short-term solution. When I talk, when you're hearing things and, and the, uh, reading things that say, want to be able to keep the talent in place, you know, Mike Elko could do that because he's already been there. He was there with some of these players. Uh, you don't want to a step backward you want it's as though you're making a hire to keep players from going into the transfer portal now a&m's nil money should take care of the transfer portal but i'm making somebody i'm making a hire that hopefully will lead the program for eight years I, i'm not making it to see how right. the next couple of years will go yeah um, you, you can't make hires to preserve your current roster uh, or preserve your current recruiting class because if if that's all you needed to do well, then why did you ever need to fire the coach in the first place, right? If I mean, if you so badly need to keep together this current roster, then why wasn't Texas A&M winning more games? Like, I guess you could say, well, Jimbo Fisher was the problem, and they do have talent in that program. We've talked about that repeatedly. Uh, I'm sure you'd like to keep some of that talent, but yeah, you can't base your coaching hire based on who you can bring in that's going to keep the roster intact. I mean, no, as, as you said, you're hoping this guy is there for uh, 8, 10, 12 years and is becoming the next Kirby Smart. You're not worried about keeping the four-star recruit who's committed to the class or the guy who's going to come back for his junior season for one more year before the NFL. That that shouldn't even factor into your thinking, although it may have in this decision with Mike Elko. That I mean, we have seen some comments to sort of indicate that. Yeah, I, I, I look at, I mean, if that, if you'd have told me these are the choices, Mark Stoops and and Mike Elko, I would have said, well, you take Lane Kiffin. That's that's not a hard call for me. And I know people think, well, Lane Kiffin, who knows about him? Maybe he won't stick around. Well, I think things could be pretty good when he's sticking around as long as he does. Um, when I look at what he did at Ole Miss – it way overshadows what Mark Stoops did at Kentucky. Granted, Mark Stoops did it a little longer, but Kiffin has had two really good seasons in three years. He's recruited really good offensive personnel, and he's a great offensive coach. So to me, 
I would have hired Lane Kiffin over those guys. Um, probably would have hired Josh Heupel over those guys from mm. Tennessee. Wow. Yeah, because he's a really good – I think it pays to go with the offensive coaches right now. I know Kirby Smart contradicts that. I mean, there are always going to be some some exceptions. He's a great defensive coordinator. But right now, in today's era, it's an offensive-minded game. We saw what a quick turnaround Josh Heupel did with Tennessee. I know he's better in 22 than he's been this year. But still, his resume suggests he's going to score a lot of points. And if you're worried about recruiting – that should not be an issue at Texas A&M because of NIL. I, I mean, I don't care how charming a guy is or, or how many guys he's put in the NFL. When they start when they start writing those checks, I mean, that tells a story right there. So, yeah, I, and maybe this will work out great. I, I just uh, – I wonder if A&M thought, well, we did this with R.C. Slocum in it. It worked out. He had a successful run. In, in coaching searches, John, and, and you know this, I mean, it, it seems like schools want to hire and fans want their schools to hire whoever the opposite is of whoever they had last, right? And so in Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M spent big. They got the coach from the Blue Blood who had a national championship. Now he had been falling out of favor there a little bit at Florida State. His last season wasn't a good one at FSU. But still, he had the national championship. He was at the big-time program, and and they plundered Florida State. Well, that didn't work. And so now they're doing the 180 here, and they're hiring the coach from Duke, uh, the coach on the rise, who's who's gone, you know, won 16 games in two seasons at Duke. So, you know, again, it, it may work. It's just it's classic coaching hiring move, right? You hire whatever the opposite is of what you you had last. and And I think... If the choices were Mark Stoops and Mike Elko, I agree with you. I'd go with Elko because I don't know what the floor and the ceiling is with Elko. The floor might be lower than it would have been with Stoops, but so might the ceiling. I think with Mark Stoops, you're penciling in a lot of eight and four, nine and three seasons at Texas A&M, which is not all that different than what you had in, in Jimbo Fisher. Well, when you, the bottom line to this is, A&M's firing a uh, a national championship coach and hiring the the coach at Duke. Uh, Yeah, but I don't know how good that argument is, though, because, I mean, Jimbo's national championship was a decade ago. No, I know. It's not – I'm not saying it's a good argument. I'm just saying you could write that headline if you weren't enamored with this hire. All right, Mississippi State – John, Jeff Lebby, um, he, he runs a very similar offense to what we see at Ole Miss, at Tennessee. Uh, in fact, no surprise there. He worked under Lane Kiffin. He worked under Josh Heupel. Uh, he worked under Art Bryles. It is the Art, Art Bryles type of offense that we see at Tennessee, that we see at Ole Miss, and now we're going to see at Mississippi State. Mississippi State, we didn't expect them to attract the caliber of candidate that we expected Texas A&M to attract, let's be honest, right? Um, but my, my main concern with this hire of Levy, and I don't love it, I don't hate it, I think it's fine. I think for what I expected from Mississippi State, I'm not surprised this is where it landed. My question is, how do you win at Mississippi State 
with the same system that Tennessee and Ole Miss is using when you're not going to have the same caliber of player. Tennessee and Ole Miss are going to get better players than Mississippi State. Historically, that just happens. Um, maybe you don't want to hear that if you're a state fan, but that that happens. And so you're going to be running the same system, but probably with a little bit lesser players. How does that work? Well, you could have made the same argument with when Tennessee hired uh, Jeremy Pruitt. How are you going to win with the same system as Georgia and Alabama? He coached at both places. Um, subscribe to kind of the same philosophy at that time. Defense, want a power running game, pro-style passing game. Uh, you're not going to out-recruit those schools. So that will be challenging. And maybe you believe, well, Jeremy Pruitt was just smarter than those guys. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, okay. All, all kidding aside. Uh, yeah, I just, I just don't know when you're hiring a, a coordinator. I, I think in today's game, uh, the head key, head coach, I don't know that he needs to be a CEO, but I think he needs to be good in a lot of areas. And, uh, and maybe, maybe Lee is, I don't, I, I just don't know, but somebody that's been a head coach, Okay, I'll I'll throw another one at you. Uh, back back to the A and M job. It's kind of related to Mississippi State. Is uh, I would take Hugh Freeze over those coaches that you named, over uh, Stoops and over Elko. I would have taken Hugh Freeze. Well, I know that you're ready to crown Hugh Coach of the Year for going six and six well, in year well, one no, at Auburn. But just no, but don't take my and just look at the resumes. Yeah, you, you like that proven track record. Uh, Mike Elko doesn't have a ton of that in the head coach's chair. The early returns were good at Duke, and and Jeff Levy has none of that track record at Mississippi State. You know, and the other types of candidates that we heard about at Mississippi State, just hot board type names, uh, Barry Odom at UNLV, Willie Fritz at Tulane, you know, veteran coach who's not been at the Power Five level uh, John Sumrall at Troy, who's you know doing good things at, at a Sunbelt school. Like, would you rather have a guy, um, and I know I'm lumping three very different names in there, in, in Sumrall, Odom, and, and Willie Fritz, but would you rather have a guy like that who's winning right now at a group of five, or would you have rather have a Power Five coordinator who's not been in the head coach's chair? And if this influences you at all in your decision, John, uh, Dan Mullen was a power five coordinator who had no head coaching experience and became the best head coach in Mississippi state history. Yeah. I, it's a tough call. It, it, you're kind of, you're dealing with the unknown here. I guess it would just depend on the guy. I mean, you, you've got to do some research on him. Uh, I would have tried to get Jamie Chadwell. Yeah. Um, according to reports, Chadwell wasn't interested in leaving Liberty for Mississippi state. Uh, I could see that. Yeah. So if we scr scratched him off the list, and if it's down to the three guys I mentioned, Barry Odom, who we remember from Missouri, he's now at UNLV, Willie Fritz at Tulane, and John Sumrall, he's been at Troy for two years, um, or Jeff Levy. You can have any of those four guys from Mississippi State. 
who's your choice? I would take Jeff Levy because okay. of, uh, I don't know enough about those guys. Um, and the fact that I like his offensive resume again, this is an offensive era and, uh, other other schools he's you know he's been in good jobs as an offensive coordinator so yeah I'm, i would be if that's my choice yeah i would take him you just want hugh freeze at all no i i'm not all i don't want to be SEC i don't want to be known as a a hugh freeze uh president of the hugh freeze fan club i mean if it had been up to me would a and m would have gone after urban meyer <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> it, it's hard to juggle those two at the same time. You can't, yeah, yeah no, you can't be helming one fan, Urban's fan club, if you're you're busy over there stumping for for you. Uh, maybe just a member of the Hugh fan club, but you're the president of of Urban's. You might be able to manage both of those. Not a big club anymore, but Ohio State may be thinking, rethinking its change. Another another loss or two to Michigan. No doubt. All right, John, I should stop picking on you and, and uh, your love for Hugh Freeze because uh, we're going to segue into our picks here. And, oh, my, John, you went 6-1 and one last week, and we thought the Iron Bowl had a miracle. You going 6-1. and one. <laughs> You have surged into a half-game lead. You couldn't draw it up any better. You have a one-half game lead over me, John. Final week of picks here before the Bulls championship weekend. You are 34-39-2 after that 6-1 and one week. I went 3-4 and four last week. I'm now 34-40-1. The one difference there is you got an extra push on one of your locks of the week. So I'm, I'm a half game behind. We'll pick the five Power 5 championship games, John. And then our lock of the week has to come from the group of five. So we'll pick six games in total. Uh, We've talked about the SEC championship. Let's just start there. Georgia, five-point favorite uh, against Alabama. Uh, I'll go first on on this one, make you bat lead off as we step outside the SEC. I'm taking Georgia here. Um, Alabama's a nice story coming off of that that week two loss. I think Jalen Milrow's a great story. Uh, But... Roster to roster, I think Georgia's better at at most positions. The only thing would be, you know, Georgia sat some guys, including Brock Bowers, last week against Georgia Tech due to injury situations. Um, I would expect a few of those guys, including Bowers, to be back Saturday. But you know, if for some reason they're not, and you tar- start to take a few few stars off Georgia's roster, then then maybe I see this going differently. But uh, assuming something resembling a healthy roster. I like Georgia to win. I like Georgia to cover the five-point spread. Yeah, I agree with that. I just think it's a, a more well-rounded team still. Um, I I really like the way Georgia's offensive line has is, is finished things out. I don't put much stock in a fairly close game against Georgia Tech. Um, but I really like it. For all of uh, – for all the improvement Jalen Milrow has made, I still really like Carson Beck. I think Georgia has a better passing game, and I think that could be the difference Saturday. I think it's the defenses can pretty much equal out, so I would go with Georgia too. John, I'm sure you've never been accused of writing 
clickbait. That's that's probably only me that gets those accusations in my emails and my social media. I know someone of your um, resume and, and uh, how high esteem you're held has never been accused. No. <laughs> accused of that. <laughs> I uh, laugh at the very thought. Right. I mean, the clickbait headline coming out of the SEC championship, if Georgia wins, is going to be, you know, the old Saban's dynasty's dead, Alabama's dead. Um, I mean, those headlines were like two years ago to me. Like, Georgia passed Alabama two years ago. That hasn't changed. And and if Georgia wins Saturday, that will just be further proof of that. To me, nothing changes. It's just that Georgia stays a little bit ahead of Alabama. Alabama's still nipping at the heels. And I continue to believe that if Saban wants to coach another five years, he's going to win at least one more national championship. So does that mean the dynasty's dead? I don't know. Um, in, in the very definition of the word, maybe. Alabama's not what it was at its peak. Georgia now sits on the throne, and that'll continue to be true if they win Saturday. But that doesn't mean that Alabama's toast here. Again, I, I still think if Saban's got five more years in him, he's got another championship in him, and it may come as soon as next year because, well, I think Alabama knows who its quarterback is going into next season. I think Alabama will be very selective and probably very effective in the transfer portal because I think you're right. It's got the quarterback now. Yeah. And uh, so, no, it's – we always overreact to that. It's just a, it's just it is clickbait. I mean, that's, I mean, let's face it. Alabama easily could have made the playoff last year. It's it's been within a game of the playoff, twenty two and again in twenty three. So that, no, it's not at the peak of its dynasty, but it's still a player. It's a major player. So no, that's, it's not going anywhere. Right. It remains one of the nation's top five programs. It's just not the undisputed number one as it once was under Nick Saban. That is now Kirby Smart and Georgia. Uh, the team that's number one in your heart, evidently, John, uh, Oregon, nine and a half point favorite against Washington in the Pac-12 championship. Uh, dare I even ask who you're picking in this one? Uh, I'm picking Oregon. Uh, Washington won right, a nail biter there in uh, on its home field during the regular season. But I think Oregon, Oregon is a much better team. Washington has struggled some. Look at rivalry weekend. It barely beat uh, Washington State. It barely beat Oregon State the week before. Now, Oregon's an easy pick for me there. All right. Figured it would be. I'm going to match you. And, and No, I'm not. I'm changing, John. Uh, Oregon's well, going Oregon's to win this game. But I'm going to take Washington, a late change of heart. I'm taking Washington in those nine and a half points. I got to make up a half game here, after all. Uh, I don't know who you're picking in the rest of these games. So, yeah, I'm taking Oregon to win, but I'm going to thread the needle. Washington with the points, the nine and a half points. Um, all right, next one John, Florida State, ACC championship with their backup quarterback. They're a three point favorite. They beat Florida with the backup last week. Louisville lost to Kentucky. Who are you taking here? Florida State. Um, I think before Jordan Travis got in, injured, I, never mind the strength of schedule, the eye test. I, I thought Florida State was was a really complete team, and that that was a brutal loss. To, but it's so good at so many positions. I think it can overcome that. And to me, Louisville has a really good running back. It's passing game is kind of liberty, limited. 
and it just I watched the Kentucky game. It, it, so yeah, that's uh, I take Florida State. I take Florida State too, and and I agree with the point you made earlier. If, if Florida State goes thirteen and zero, please let's just all spare ourselves the argument that Florida State is not getting in the playoff as a thirteen and zero ACC champion. They just they just are. Um, all right. Uh, Big 12 championship, Texas on the way out the door, John. Can they can they win win a final Big 12 championship? They're a 14-point favorite against Oklahoma State. Uh, I'll bat leadoff on this one. And uh, Oklahoma State's been incredibly unpredictable this year. They got some nice wins. They got some bad losses. They got some closer-than-expected wins. So it is without much conviction but I'm going to take Oklahoma State and those 14 points. Texas to win, but Oklahoma State to cover. Well, that's a tough one, but that line, that that line seems a little too much for me. As much as I like Texas, you're so right about Oklahoma State, and it's not just this year. That's a team I never feel like I have a good read on. And I just I could just see it, you know, I could almost see it winning this game. Uh, it, it's just an unpredictable team. Logic dictated it could, certainly couldn't beat Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, but it did. And I, I look at Texas, I think Texas will be really revved up because it's trying to not just win the game, but impress voters. But I like Oklahoma State in these kind of situations where it can just it can just wreck somebody's world. So I, I'll go with Oklahoma State too. Yeah, my concern with Oklahoma State here is uh, their their ground game is kind of the backbone there with Ollie Gordon and Texas. Really, one of the strengths of their team is their rush defense. They're number one in the the Big Twelve in in run defense. So that would be my concern for Oklahoma State fans getting uh, excited about the potential of an upset. Is it's going to be strength on strength here, and I I kind of side with Texas, but um, I, I'm at least expecting a closer than, uh, that spread indicates. So, all right, we're in lockstep on everything except the PAC 12 championship. Uh, how about the big 10 championship, John, Michigan, a 22 and a half point favorite against Iowa. Uh, I'll go first here. I'm taking Michigan. My only concern is what, what if Michigan gets up by, you know, a couple scores and just goes into that like Penn state mode where they realize, uh, I was not even gonna be able to score. So as long as they don't throw a pick six, you know, they're pitching a, a shutout here. I mean, that was kind of the approach against Penn State a couple weeks ago. But, like, Iowa's a watered-down version of, of Penn State. And so uh, I think Michigan can, can cover that 22-and-a-half-point uh, spread and may not have to even throw a pass to do it. Yeah, and the thing is, even – Iowa, you just don't know how, how in the world can it score. I mean, it's going to have to have a – you know, some something weird has to happen for Iowa to score. Yeah, safety a snap goes through the, over the punter's head, the Michigan punter's head, and I, Iowa gets two points on a safety. You know, I it's twenty three point line. Is I that called it twenty two and a half? But twenty two and a half. Yeah, see if Michigan scores thirty one. I got to take Michigan there too. Because you don't think Iowa's scoring 10 points, neither do I. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I kind of like that Iowa can win 10 games doing what it does. It's fascinating to me. 
Oh, especially in this era. No, yeah. No doubt so about I kind of yeah. I like seeing Iowa win, and I will I will pull for Iowa even though I'm picking against it. Well, yeah, and you just you love that state. I mean, yes, a big big Iowa one. Yeah. All right. Who's your uh, lock of the week, John? On our way out the door here, you got a group of five uh, conference champion. You're feeling uh, particularly confident in. I don't feel confident in it because I've been horrible in my uh, locks of the week. I think you've gotten three in a row, though. I know, but <laughs> look over <laughs> yeah. the whole season. Yeah. Let's don't just count what happened uh, before November. Uh, yeah, I'm going with uh, New Mexico State. And they are playing Liberty, right? They're, They're playing getting... Liberty, yeah. How many points do you have them getting? I, uh, I see 10 and a half. Do you see differently? Um, let's see. I just looked at a line, uh, 10 and a half, uh, 10 and a half. Yes. Okay. So you're taking that, the 10 and a half points. Yeah. Team uh, that beat because, your man, Hugh freeze. And, and the team that, uh, I refer to as the Lobos in a picks column before it was playing. And I can't prove this, but some people have suggested that might've been a rallying cry mm-hmm. for New Mexico. I believe on the I, podcast, John, when you pointed out that you called them the wrong school, uh, huh. You then said that they were the Aztecs, which is San Diego no, State. No, <laughs> so, I think you doubled down there. And no, no, I know they're the Aggies, and and I, I, I apologize to the team. Well, I know you think them. the world of them. Oh, I do, and and well, here you, you know, it's who you pick that that tells you who you think the most of. Yeah, so New yeah. Mexico State. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of Troy. John, they're a, a six and a half point favorite in the Sun Belt Championship. Sun Belt's one of my favorite group of five leagues to watch. Ranks right up there to with the MAC. The MAC's been pretty good to me this year, uh, but I'm pivoting away. I'm going the Sun Belt. I'll take uh, Troy to cover six and a half points against App State in the Sun Belt Championship. Troy is is t- ten and two, one of the best G5s in the country. It is with great confidence that I make that lock of the week. Yeah, that's a good pick. And as I recall, App, who did App State beat? And I picked the other team. Uh, can't remember, uh, but is that a Georgia State week? That might have been a Georgia State week for yeah, you. Yeah, I picked Georgia State against Troy. That was a mismatch. Yeah, I didn't do well in the Sun Belt. I uh, swerved away from that conference. Yeah, yeah. You leave the Sun Belt and Mac to me, and you you stick with those New Mexico State Aggies as we. Uh, as we decide this uh, close picks contest, and, and we'll see uh, uh, if the SEC championship uh, is close as well. It's a five-point spread there in Atlanta, and we'll be back with you to discuss that and the college football playoff selections next week. Thanks for listening to SEC Football Unfiltered.